Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Tim and I'm the pastor here so welcome to First Church and I'm glad to be in worship with you this morning. Um, (laughs) In the beginning of of this year 2022 in case you forgot what year it is I often do uh, Capital One Bank released a a commercial with the claim that uh, with no fees or minimums or overdraft fees banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Now, the commercial then cuts to a neighborhood basketball court where two young girls are choosing from a pool of potential teammates in order to fill their team. And among that pool of potential candidates is Hall of Fame NBA player Charles Barkley. The first captain calmly says, I'll take Barkley, who towers over the rest of the field of kids by at least four feet. His response, an emphatic, boom, I told you she would pick me first, is comical and completely over-exaggerated. But at the heart of Barclay's words and his genius in this commercial is the way that it touches on one of our most basic human desires, the desire to be chosen. And I'm sure that some of you can remember similar moments without Charles Barkley present, sitting, standing on a a ball field or in gym class or at recess, just just hoping like, please don't pick me last. Are they ever going to pick me? You know, but it would be better to just not be picked at all than to be picked last. And as we grow up, the stakes get higher, right? We realize uh, that that most of our lives uh, revolves around being chosen. We're we're chosen by our partners. We're chosen by colleges. We're then chosen by employers. We're chosen by constituents if we decide to go into the realm of politics. We're chosen by our friends, by professional organizations. Sometimes, much to our spouse's chagrin, we're chosen by our pets, right? (laughs) But the truth of it all is that being chosen means being included. And this is the one of the, the most fundamental driving hopes for all of humans, no matter how much we like to tell ourselves that we are just fine being on our own. Because being included is the means by which we enter into the wonderful world of community. You might remember that it was God who first identified the fact that 
it's not good for the human to be alone. This is a foundational truth for our understanding of, of all of God's activity in the world, and honestly, for understanding like the entirety of our Bibles. Because God is, from the very beginning, concerned with building and connecting the people that he has created to the power of community. And this all stems from God's own identity. As Christians, we affirm the fact that we believe that God has existed eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that means is that God has eternally existed in a community of love. And so what God created humanity for was to invite us into that community of love with him and to invite us into that community of love with other human beings. And so it's no wonder that the God who created us in his image, who lives as a community of love amongst himself, it's no wonder that because of that fact that we are made in this image that we desire so deeply to be a part of. This was really important for the uh, identity of ancient Israel, and, it, and really, actually, all ancient cultures. Uh, ancient cultures were built around family tribal systems in which being in was your meal ticket and your source of your ability to survive in a cruel world. Being on the outside of a family-type community was a quick way to have a short and miserable life. And so Israel found its identity in not only being a part of the family of Israel, but by believing that their head of family was God himself, Yahweh of the Israelites. They were a chosen people, a treasured possession, the holy ones. If you listened to last week's message, you might remember that term. But the beautiful and radical thing that Jesus did was that Jesus tore down the barrier that separated other people from inclusion within this special community of Israel. And as the church was born, people of, of all different backgrounds began to find their home within the community of Jesus's followers. These communities that, that functioned differently than any other community in the Roman world these communities were particularly inclined towards including those who had lost or who had never had a community to call their own. Widows, orphans, slaves, foreigners, all people whose desperate desire for community was never filled until the good news of God and God's kingdom found them. And this is a fact that the Apostle Paul was deeply aware of. You know, Paul was uh, in a unique social situation himself because Paul was a, a member of the uh, Israelite religious elite. He was a Pharisee, but he was also a full-blooded Roman citizen, which not many people were. And so Paul experienced the privilege of belonging just about everywhere that he went. And what Paul saw was what it was like, not only for him, but what it was like for those who didn't belong, who didn't enjoy the privilege of community, and most importantly, 
the identity that it was assigned to those people by those who were on the inside. And so this is kind of the backdrop for what he is going to say to us in his opening remarks uh, to the church of Ephesus. And it's the book of Ephesians in our Bibles. And what he's, he's going to do is he's going to address the people and particularly focus on who they are. What he's going to do is like kind of really do this in three parts that flow together pretty quickly into one another. But we'll get started right at the very beginning. And so this is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heaven, in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. And this is um, a lot of words to honestly, like, kind of drive home one major point. And that point is that God chose us. And God chose us not because of something fantastic that we had done, because God chose us before we ever existed. And this is like a, a really big thing and a, a, a bone of contention between different various streams of the Christian faith. And, and some would argue that, that this means that, that uh, we never had a chance but to follow Jesus. That we were eternally destined before the foundations of the world were laid to be followers of Jesus and that we were incapable of resisting it. Now, as, as Methodists, uh, we don't necessarily believe that. Uh, I believe that the being chosen by God requires us to respond to God by choosing to allow God to be the, the guiding and the ruling force in our lives, by saying yes to Jesus, essentially. And I believe that this is the best and most accurate description of what God has done precisely because Paul uses the language of adoption. And adoption is not a one-way street. I mean, certainly you could make the argument that when someone is an infant, they don't really have a choice. They, there's no real agency given to them regarding their adoption. But I'd like to offer you... Um, a different perspective on that. So when I was uh, 12 or 13 uh, years old, my parents uh, got together and they sat me down to talk. And now my parents had been divorced for like nine, eight or nine years at this point. And so the only time that they ever got down to sit down with me to talk was when I was in trouble, right? And so on this day, uh, you know, I was like, oh man, what did I do? What did they find out? Not what did I do, but what did they find out that I did, right? Because <laughs> I was always doing something. They just didn't know about it. But on this day, that's not what happened. I wasn't in trouble. It was actually quite uh, the opposite. So what happened on that day was um, they sat me down and they told me something that I had not been told before. 
something that I didn't know. They told me that my dad had adopted me when I was about two years old. Now, what I've come to find out is that my biological father was not a safe person. And that when my mom found out that she was pregnant with me, she left him, never looked back, never told him that she was pregnant. And as far as I know, he doesn't know that I exist to stand here and preach to you today. And so this man who I had known as my father for my whole life, turned out, was not my biological father. He had chosen to make me his son. Now, I didn't ask for this. I didn't initiate this. It, it happened to me and for me by his desire to bring me into his life and into his family. But here's the thing about when you tell a budding young teenager this type of news. I was at an age where, you know, I got to decide how I was going to treat this man for the rest of my life. Was I going to give him the old, you're not my real dad treatment? Or was I going to continue to allow him to be for me the person who I look to for comfort, for guidance, for help in very real and present times of trouble? Was I going to continue to let him be my daddy? Well, of course I chose number two. And despite my insistence on being a complete idiot for a lot of my life, following that, he has been a man who continues to choose to love and support me to this very day. And this is the, the most tangible way that I can kind of explain this very big mystery and this action of God in our lives. So does, does God choose us? Yes, of course. Do we choose God? Yes, of course. But think a little bit further about what this language, the language of adoption, would mean to an orphan on the streets in ancient Rome. What it would mean to persons who had no parents. Persons who had lost their families due to war, to disease, to famine. Persons whose entire existence had been lived outside of the community that provided social and physical stability. These persons hear a word like adoption being used to describe them. And it's like the deepest longing of their hearts is being realized. There is a God. And that God wants you. But for Paul, this line of thinking doesn't end here. Being chosen isn't the only piece of our identity that, that Paul is going to strike at. He's, it's great to be chosen, but what does it actually mean for us? And so Paul continues on. He says, in him, in Jesus, of course, in him we have re redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He has, been, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time gather up all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. 
So the last section was focused on the idea of being chosen. This section here that Paul is going into is focused on one major idea. Redemption. That we are redeemed from the negative identity that is placed upon us by our sin. While we were once separated from God, we are now restored into a right relationship with God. And that this restoration... It's not just an individual thing. Redemption, while, while definitely something that we experience as individuals, is not something that is only focused on us as individuals. Redemption is like the entire program of God throughout the story of the Bible, which is something that we'll talk more about in, in a few weeks. But, but what's important to understand is that God has been and continues to be working towards the redemption of all things, all of creation. And so the, the story uh, of the, the first movement of Genesis, kind of from, from chapters 3 through 11, is a story about how the relationships, the communities that God intended for humans to live in, have been shattered. And it starts out small and continues to spiral out of control until the entire world is stained by sin and in need of redemption. But it really finds its beginning uh, in Genesis chapter 3. And so maybe you've heard this story before, but, but Adam and Eve, the, the first humans that God created, were, were made to live in this wonderful place called the Garden of Eden. And there was really only one rule, right? Don't eat the fruit from the tree of knowing good and bad. And so what do they do? They get tricked into eating from the tree of knowing good and bad. And as soon as they do, they look at each other and they realize the most fundamental thing about the human body. They're naked. And so what they do is they, they find some, some fig leaves and they sew them together and they make some clothes and then this is what happens. This comes from Genesis chapter 3 starting at verse 8. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate hiding from God. The relationship between God and humans is broken. I hid because I was naked. Shame. The relationship between humans and themselves gets broken. This woman, it's her fault, she did it. The relationship between humans and other humans is broken. Friends, there is a deep need for redemption 
for the healing of these relationships still. Because you can't look at me and with a straight face tell me that our world isn't still suffering because of these fundamental broken relationships. We, we see it every day on the news. We see it every day in our homes. And we feel it every day in our hearts. What was once a perfect and harmonious creation, both on earth and in the spiritual realm, has been corrupted. God's activity in history has been centered around redeeming creation, all of creation, people, spiritual beings, the earth itself, literally everything, in order to accomplish his final goal. And that goal goes beyond a simple redemption and redeeming of relationships. That goal is actually what Paul is going to focus on in his next and final block of thought for us today. He goes on, he says, In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance. Having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And this, this is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. So God chooses us, brings us into a community of love with himself. He redeems us. He heals the broken relationship between us and himself, between us and ourselves, and between us and other human beings. But this is not the end of God's work. God's work continues towards one more ultimate goal, renewal. And to be renewed is to be changed. And this is crucially different than just simply being redeemed. Redeemed means that the relationship is in good standing again. Renewed means that the relationship is growing and moving in a new way because there is a fundamental change of heart and mind. And so, for example, your child, your friend, your loved one, your neighbor, whoever, is in trouble. They're, uh, they're addicted to drugs, they're addicted to gambling, or they simply just love shopping so much that they shop beyond their financial needs, and, and they're in trouble. And whatever the case may be, they steal from you. They steal like, let's say, $1,000, right? It's enough to do some financial harm. Time passes, and they come to you, maybe with $1,000, and they, they fall on their knees, and they say, I am so sorry. Like, please, please forgive me and take this repayment. Or maybe they don't even have the money. They just come and they, they kneel before you, and you being a good Christian person who knows that people are more valuable than money, forgives them. The relationship is essentially redeemed. But you haven't forgotten. There's nothing in your mind that says this won't ever happen again. Because you know that they're still the same person that they were when they stole from you. What is really needed 
is a psychic change. For, for them to, to get off drugs, to stop gambling, to stay away from Amazon and the mall. And when these things happen, when, when they get clean, when they accept the reality of the, the consequences of their circumstances and begin to become someone different, that's when the relationship begins to be renewed. And that's the point of this whole thing. See, God chooses us and redeems us, but not to just leave us where we are at. God does this to make us new because he sees us. He sees our struggles. He sees the pain in our hearts. He sees the ways that we wreak havoc on our own relationships. And he says, child, I made you for so much more than this. And Paul says that we are made to live for the praise of God's glory. This is not something that we're naturally inclined to doing on our own. But this is something that through the power of the Holy Spirit in our relationship with God, that happens through righteous living, through living in a way that honors God and God's purposes in this world. And so when we look at all of this, this reality of, of who we're created to be, people who are chosen to live in a community of love, people who are redeemed, brought into a right relationship with God and with ourselves and with others, people who are renewed by that love and given a new life, then we have been given some pretty obvious goals to strive towards. Because if every single human in this world is desperate for community, desperate to be chosen, then it is the job of this, this radical barrier-breaking community called the church to be the ones who reach out and say to those who feel orphaned and widowed by this world, hey, you, we choose you. And while this is seemingly obvious, the church at large has not historically been very good at it. Over time, we have decided to place boundaries around whom we would like to include. We want to only choose those who would make us look good, only choose the Charles Barkleys of the world. But what if that's exactly what Paul is fighting against? What if that's actually what the story of the Bible invites us to do the opposite of? Because I don't know if you've read this whole thing, but God hasn't been in the business of choosing the best of the best to be on his team. He chooses messes and idiots over and over again and redeems and renews them to accomplish incredible things. And so what would it look like if the church, if this church had a spirit of inclusion towards those that have been shut off from experiencing the love of our community, from the love of the church? What if we were seen as the church that is, is radically for the poor, as a church that is radically for the downtrodden, that is radically for the homeless, that is radically for drug addicts, that is radically for LGBTQ persons, that is radically for divorced persons, that is radically for fill-in-the-blank for yourself persons. What if we truly said, hey, you, we choose you. 
Come on and let us show you what God has done and what God wants you to be a part of. Because this is who we are. Our identity is people who have been chosen, redeemed, and renewed. A renewed people are called to further the mission of God in this world to those who feel like God doesn't love them. To those who have been told that the church isn't safe for them. It's our job to redeem our relationship with these people and to become something new together with them. To become a community of love, chosen and redeemed by Christ for the renewal of our world. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the gifts that you have given to us, the gift of community, the gift of this church, the gift of our salvation. God, we ask that through the power of your spirit that you would show us how to be people who live in a renewed relationship with you, with ourselves, and with the rest of our world. That you would show us what it looks like for us to be in a community with the world around us. That you would show us what it looks like to be a community of love that is deeply steeped in the identity and the person of who you are. The person that you came and showed us how to be like. God, that through the power of the Spirit, you would move and stir our hearts. That you would open our eyes, open our minds, and open our hearts to see all people as your chosen ones, as, as those whom you have adopted, those whom you wish to redeem and renew, and that you would show us how to be not only an example, but an agent of that adoption, an agent of that redemption, and an agent of that renewal in their lives that those who have been called unworthy might find their worth in you through us, your church, your people, the holy ones, the saints set apart, your honest to God treasured possession. Speak to us. Show us how to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.